Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good morning and welcome to the Jason Bramlett Real Estate Show. Hope everybody is having a fantastic day as we dig into real estate investing part three. And this may be the end. I don't know. It all depends on your calls, your emails, some great information, some great questions. So as we get those questions, we just keep adding to our little segment here. So right now, this is part three, which will probably be the end unless I come back next week and we got part four. But hey, you never know, Keith. It just we'll depends on, on the listeners and what you guys want, because that is why we're here. So question that came up this week, Jason, what kind or what type of property should I be looking at considering? So we're going to definitely dig into that. Uh, a couple more questions or follow-up about um, self-managing or hiring a company. Does it make sense? Um, this was a really good question. Jason, I've got 168 properties. When is enough enough? I thought, well, that's that's worth talking about. That's uh, <laughs> Congratulations, first of all. You know, uh, That was uh, Jim, I think, that sent that in. So good job, Jim, on the 168. That is awesome. Um, how long should I hold these properties? You know, does it make sense? Am I looking at short term, long term? What makes sense? Go big, stay small. All these questions, and then are there other types of investments um, uh, within the real estate field, or other ways I can invest in real estate without necessarily, you know, being a landlord and have to deal with all that? So your calls, your emails, your questions—that's why we're here. So let's dive right in, sir. Well. I want to ask a question because it seems like once you've got your first property, the path to the second and the third and the fourth kind of just it lays itself out. You know, it's it's kind of follow you know follow down the road. The hard part seems that first property. Like, how do you get started? How do you identify the right kind of property? To me, in my head, that seems like the harder one as opposed to maybe some others down the road. A hundred percent, hundred percent, and sometimes it's just you know the old adage: you can't see the forest for the trees, right? right. And, yeah. and sometimes the things that are right in front of you are the answer. And this is no exception to either one of those either one of those old myths or rules. Really, the first, the first best rental property. Um, is actually the house that you live in. It's more than likely the first home that you actually bought. It's your, what we call, starter home. And there's multiple reasons why, but normally it's perfect in size. A lot of first-time you know, homes are three bedrooms, two bath, two-car garage. And the, the price is great that you paid versus the rent and, that will come in versus the payment that you have. And so most, you know, most first-time home buyers purchase with less than 20% down. So, you know, it may be a VA loan where they did 100%. They, maybe they did FHA, FHA loan where they only did 3.5%. But maybe they went the conventional route, but they only put 5 or 10% down. 
Well, when we're looking at investment property, typically the minimum to start is 20. You know, you're, you're 20% of your own money into the product. Um, so converting your existing mortgage in the current home that you live in um, actually allows you to put less money down uh, because you put what? Less money down. So, you know, it, it's, it's a great way to get started. The other thing is the loan typically about 90% of the time, um, it's a fixed rate. It's not an adjustable rate. It's not a floating interest rate. So it was fixed at a certain percentage. Normally that percentage, some of this does depend on your credit score, but normally that rate is considerably less than what the banks loan on investment properties. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, you know, give me an example. You know, somebody may be able to get a home. Maybe they were, you know, they hit the sweet spot and they bought their home and it's at 3.25% interest rate. Well, a bank on an investment loan might be at four, four and a quarter, four and a half, somewhere in that range. They're typically going to be higher than what the homeowner consumer rate is. And those are just risk assessments and risk strategies, or it's just, hey, we could charge more for this kind of loan, whatever you want to say. It's one of those three. I, they they tend to lean toward it's a, it's a higher risk loan, so we charge more, or is it just because they can? Um, both, maybe. <laughs> so maybe both, both is that. So kind of the recap here, benefit, you put less money down, the rate is typically lower, and it's locked in, and the house price is typically perfectly in line with a great, you know, great rent or great rental in the marketplace. So those are all, all great reasons. Now, here is the trap that we run into with, with making this decision. We want that bigger house, that bigger, better house, Jason. It's the next one. We, you know, we've been suffering here in our <laughs> perfect little urban three-bedroom, two-bath, two-car garage, fence backyard, white picket fence, the whole nine yards. Um, we're look, and so where, where does where does investment really start? It's really not even with math. It's really with self-discipline. It's having that self-discipline to make those decisions and. That's where really, really good investors start is understanding that they got to be disciplined with the decisions that they make. So the first decision they typically do is they say no to selling the current house to buying the bigger one or using that equity to buy number two, and they keep it. You know, um, and I'll tell you, it's it's a tough decision, especially in today's real estate world. I mean, the the prices of homes, it's it's really it's quite incredible it's i scratch my head sometimes i mean we we have one right now that we're talking to this couple um they bought their home um let's see i want to say when did they buy that maybe like five years ago 2018 2019 somewhere around there so anyway they've been in it four or five years they bought the house for 185 and we are going to put the house on the market and sell it it will sell in one day for three 60 Keith. Wow. In the triad. Yeah. I mean, it's unreal. Now, here's the kicker, though. It is also the most perfect rental house to start off with. Think about that. You've got tremendous equity. You've got, um, you know, you've been in it for five years, so you've paid some down, not a lot. They probably, I don't know, whatever they may owe in the one high 160s, whatever the case may be. 
But the rent that is being in demand in that area for that product, for that house, it's really, really good. So here we go. Here's the decision. Do we buy the bigger, better house or keep this as our first rental? And, it, and it's a tough, I mean, oh, and here's the other thing. Just to throw a little, you know, more fire on the decision. Uh, one of the spouses is 100% sell, sell, sell. And the other one is 100% keep, keep, keep. Always. <laughs> so, always, right. So so now um, it's a test, like, to see what's going to happen. Is the, sh- you know, the, what they get to decide is, is the short-term benefit of, I mean, and let's face it, it's a big carrot. I mean, net, at the end of the day, they're looking at probably $150,000 um, equity gain in, in their pocket, you know, money that they're, a check they're going to get at closing. And one of the spouses is like, that is the most amazing down payment for my dream home, and da-da-da-da-da. And the other one is looking at the long-term benefit of building wealth and keeping that asset. I tell you, it's it's a tough one, man. In this market, I mean, we're seeing it more than we've seen it in the last ten or twelve years, and um, just the crazy appreciation. And make it makes this first start of discipline a, a tough. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. I'd be honest. I could see my wife and I having that exact same debate. I, I, literally, I, I mean, I my house isn't quite at that one eight one eighty five to three sixty level, but it's not tremendously far off. I could see us having the same debate. I mean, so I'm sure there's hundreds, if not thousands, of people in this same situation. If if your client is and 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 I am, so what do we do? I there is it doesn't seem like there's a clear cut answer here. What what do we do? <laughs> that, that no, it, it's it is. It is, well, you, you do have to decide. That is the toughest part, right? You have to decide 100%, am I in this for the long haul, or does this short-term gain outweigh my long-term option? And, and, you know, and I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer. It's just it's got to be right for you, and you've got to be committed, right? You've got to be committed to the outcome. So, Sometimes there is no clear path, and especially with, you know, emotions get involved in our decisions, especially when we're dealing with the home. and the. F- it's easy for me to make the decision for Keith. Hey, Keith, this is what you should do. I mean, this is a no-brainer. And Keith's like, yeah, you do not live where I live, man. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. It's not, it's not that easy. Not that easy, no. <laughs> it's not, you know, I know it's, I'm only 50% of the equation, but... I don't have a hundred. I don't have a. 50, I don't have a hundred percent of the voice. Right? It's a shared voice. Yeah. So it, it is. It, we all live there. So it, it's it's hard to say no to self, especially when um, we're dealing with dreams and and visions of what it could be, and you know, um, burning the candle at both ends because you you know you're working your guts out. You feel like you deserve better. And man, I I get it. I totally get it. But then there is that. But, and then it's you've got to look at that, and, and so you can you can you can only have what others do you know have or what they've achieved by what duplicating what they have done, and and so you know this is why the the percentage of people that achieve great great wealth is so small. It's very few, probably less. You know, then one percent of the world actually can have it both ways. Like they earn, like they're on a their their income is on such a crazy trajectory they can just do both. Like I can 
keep this and by the greatest, most amazing house. That's not typical of most people. And so it becomes that hard decision. It, it's, you know, it's rare air that you're living in this, you know, perfect world situation where you can just, you know, have your cake and eat it too, if you will. So what we have to look at is the long term um, really can create the perfect stepping stone to building out that lifestyle wealth down the road. But it is a delayed gratification type situation. It's a lifestyle where your assets can work for you and you no longer have to work to get them and or you don't no longer have to work to provide for your family. Um, you know, there's there's several people that you can follow and, and they got great information. I mean, Kevin O'Leary, um, you know, Mr. Wonderful mm-hmm. on Shark Tank, I mean, um, about every single podcast interview or talk that I've ever seen him do is his his whole entire world is around the monthly cash flow that his assets bring to him, and that's what he lives on no matter what. He never, ever, ever touches the principal or the asset, which is the golden goose. He never spends it because if you shoot that golden goose and you lose that momentum, then you're going backwards, right? So he, he understands that at a very, very high level. And you can do the same for you and your family. Just don't get caught up in that American dream trap, you know, that you always have to have bigger, better, whatever. I mean, yes, it's great, but the, the great thing about having rental property or of any kind is now you have someone else that is paying for your asset. I mean, think about this. The tenants, they're taking a portion of their income to pay for your property. I mean, that's remarkable. I mean, that, that's really amazing. Like, you couldn't, like, if I, you know, I couldn't do that with just anybody. Like, I mean, I, I know Keith, you know, he likes me and all, but <laughs> he doesn't send me a check every month. No. Right? No. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't happen. And so, but think about this. If you could have one, five, a hundred, a thousand people every month, in Jim's case, the 168, you know, families that are, are, you know, that are sending a portion of their paycheck to pay for what? His, his rental properties. It's, it's a pretty amazing, um, compounding effect. So I know, um, I know somewhere along the way, for sure, some of these people in your mind became the evil rich. Um, but they, hey, they all, most all of them, if you go back and study the wealth of America, um, about 90% of it is first generation, and a good portion of it, they started with one single house, one single investment, and they built upon that. It wasn't handed down generational in all the things that we hear that, you don't know, no, somebody just made a decision and said, hey, what if we just started with this one, and then we added a couple more, and we added a couple more, and the cool, the cool thing is like when you get into Jim's numbers at 168, so now he has so much income coming in every month that I would imagine his compounding effect is he could probably go buy one or two homes a month using the income that the 168 has brought. So he's just, you see the snowball effect, right? Mm -hmm. But you've got to start somewhere, and the first place to start, it's the toughest place to start, 
is with that decision. So we're going to do this. We have decided that we're going to take a break. <laughs> you are listening to the Jason Bramlett Real Estate Show. We'll be back in just a minute. And welcome back to the Jason Merrill Real Estate Show. We are digging into all things real estate investing. We're, we're well, we're into the decision-making process today. Should I move forward? Should I keep the house that we're in as a rental? Does it make sense? Is this a road, a path that I want to want to get on? Um, here's what I do know. Everybody wants the result of what investing in real estate can give them. It's just, are we willing to walk down the road and pay the price that has got to be paid yeah. in order to achieve it? And so that's that's why I said the first step is not necessarily buying the home or investing in real estate. The first the first step really is deciding and making that decision. So as we continue on with the show, we're right here, Real Estate Investing Part 3, as we dive in more here. Keith, what do we got? All right, so we've gotten through the difficult question. We've decided that we want to invest. We've decided that we're willing to deal with the, 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 you know, the, the little bumps that come along the way in the beginning when you're investing and make the sacrifices that are necessary. So now there's a lot of different types of real estate that you can invest in. Where is the best place for someone to start? Because, or you know, what type of what type of real estate should they purchase? If we've made that decision to do it, what do we start with? Absolutely, and this and this to me is for for um, you know ninety nine percent probably, but you know most of us is it's the stepping stone answer. And um, I know that's not really exciting. Is you know everybody's like, what what is it? What is it? what? It's really just most people have to start with what they have and what they have is the first home that they bought. In my opinion, and this is all that it is, multifamily and commercial are far superior to single family residential homes. Now, everybody's like, well Jason, you just said take my house and convert it into a rental and I have a single family home and you just said buy more. Well, here's the reason. Ninety nine percent of investors when they get started it can't just jump into multifamily. It can't just jump into it's got a lot more zeros. I mean, we just we just talked about four or five weeks on the show about an apartment community that just sold in Greensboro. That um, yeah, this was some good math too. Not you know even a little better than the example I did at the first of the show. So this gentleman bought the apartment community for nineteen million and sold it for forty eight million <laughs> in four years. That's a heck That's of a, a pretty game. good. That's a pretty good day. I mean, yeah. you know, it's a pretty good day. But at nineteen million or at forty-eight million, it doesn't matter the number. Most investors starting out aren't going to be able to enter that space. You know, twenty. You know, if we're not putting twenty percent down on the home we're living in, where are we going to get the twenty percent to put down on a forty-eight million dollar project, right? And so those numbers, it's just the barrier to entry is higher. Now, definitely get to that, right? So the progression is, start with the first home. Typically, it's the one that you've already purchased. It's your, it's your home, your, your starter home, and you convert that to rental. And then next is house number, you know, two, three, four, six, ten, whatever. At some point, I believe the next move is once you acquire enough single-family homes is to sell them. You can sell them as a package. You can sell them individually, whatever the case may be. But that should give you enough equity and or momentum or capital 
to move into the multifamily commercial world. And, you know, one, one advantage to what I like about the multifamily world is, is you, you can have closer proximity with all of your all of your units, if you will, which makes it easier to manage. So you think about it, in multifamily, you, you know, you're going to have one location that might have 60, 80, 100 units. That's way easier than to have 100 single-family homes spread out all over the triad, Right. Uh, it just it just makes sense, and so you know with commercial it's the same. So it, you can you can also really dial in your numbers because if you think about um, most multifamily apartments, right? They're typically two bedroom, two bath. If you have twelve, sixteen, eighteen of them under in a in a building, they're pretty much identical. Every single one of them is the same floor plan just reversed one way or the other. So the great thing about knowing your numbers is when somebody moves out, you know there's always 900 square feet of of floor covering that needs to be replaced. It's the same size vanity. It's the same size kitchen, countertops. The heating and cooling unit is going to be the exact same size because the unit didn't grow. It's always going to be, a, what, 1,200, 1,400, whatever square feet it was. It didn't change. When we look at Big, big ticket items, let's say a roof, one of the great things with multifamily is I can have that. I can have 12, 16, 18, 24 units under one single roof. Well, with with single-family homes, I've got 12, 18, 16 roofs scattered everywhere, all over the place. So it just allows me to consolidate much, much better. Do you have an opinion? We touched a little bit last week, but can you go a little deeper into managing versus hiring somebody to manage? I, I am 100% on the path of hire the best property manager, period. I mean, that, that is me. Um, and, and it was a real easy decision. When I decided to buy um, rental properties, I wasn't looking for a really terrible part-time job. <laughs> I wanted to own the investments and let the investments work for me and me not to work for the investments. So if you think about this, most companies charge between 10 to 15% to manage the property. And so if, if that's the case, then, I mean, think about this. $1,500 a month is going to cost me, what, 200 bucks. Well, I can go do a lot of things that make $200 a month. And if, if the difference between me making money and not making money is $200 a month, well, I probably didn't buy the property right to begin with. And in my opinion, property managers are worth uh, the, uh, worth everything. They handle the calls, the aggravations, the issues. I just make simple, quick decisions. I love Carolina Rental Management. That's my go-to fantastic job. They're definitely not the cheapest. I don't want the cheapest. I want the best. And so that's who I um, trust with all of my properties, and, and Elizabeth and the team over there do a great job. So you can get more information from them. It's, uh, well, 281-2000, I think, is the number, or you can call us at the office, 553-0796. Everybody have a fantastic week. You're listening to the Jason Brown Real Estate Show. We'll be back here next week. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.